want to say good morning to you all. My name is Tara Hollingsworth, and I have the absolute privilege and honor of working with the youth here at Sanctuary, um, the middle school and the high school students particularly, and um, it's a joy. It's a gift, and I just um, celebrated four years at Sanctuary, so I've been doing this for four years. It's crazy. Even on this Intergen Sunday, I um, am so grateful for the people in my life who have really invested in my life and who have really taken the time to pour into me as a young teenager. I know priest parents um, in particular were huge in my um, walk with Christ. Uh, Pastor Stacy and Pastor Trinise Jones, they really walked with me through some really tough moments in my life. Um, they let me cry on their couch during uh, breakups and then disappear during the makeups. Um, <laughs> They were there through all that. Um, so they knew if they didn't hear from me for a while, things may be going good. Like, I might be okay. Um, but as soon as they got a call, what's wrong, Tease? That's what they call me, Teasy. I don't know why, but I'm like, it makes me feel cool. So I'm like, yes, Teasy. Y'all can call me that if you want, but it, it doesn't stick for anyone else but them. Um, but I'm grateful for the people in my life who have poured into me, and it energizes me to be able to pour into the next generation. Um, so I'm truly grateful for multiple generations, and I learned so much from these kids. I mean, I learned a ton from priests right now. Just the boldness of a young person to say what they believe and to um, experience the power of Christ and be able to say it freely, um, that's beautiful. And sometimes I think we as adults can learn from that because we're more hindered. Um, sometimes in the way that we do things. We just, we, we, uh, we have a little bit more experience. We know a little bit more. And sometimes that can cause us to shrink back in the way that students just don't. So I'm grateful to learn from them. Um, right now we're in a series called Journey to the Cross. And we're in a season where we are celebrating the life of Jesus Christ, um, the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. And in this time, I can't help but to just reflect on um, the work that Jesus Christ did here on earth um, on the and on the cross. And um, that work is really hard. That's really hard work that Jesus did. It took so much persistence and discipline. Um, and so I'm encouraged personally, hearing and reflecting, I'm so encouraged to um, keep pressing, even when things in life are hard and even when I don't have answers and when I don't understand. Right now in this season, more than ever, I'm encouraged to keep pressing and to keep moving. And, and I want to encourage us before we get into the message that if church is getting hard for you or if your Christian walk is just getting tough um, or if, if you're just going through some stuff, I want to encourage you guys to keep pressing. Because we do have a high priest who can empathize with us in our weakness. Um, and he's going to be there for you. And he's going to continuously give you the strength that you need for each day. Um, that's what he does. And that's who he is. And he understands. So I want to encourage us to keep pressing and to keep moving. Um, if you guys don't mind, uh, please bow your head um, and pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are good. And your mercy endures forever. Father, we acknowledge you and we acknowledge the presence of your spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Holy Spirit, we believe in the power of your word. And we know that even right now at this moment, you're beginning to shake things up inside of us. You're beginning to prepare our hearts for seeds to be planted on it. You're, you're beginning to open our ears and silence the voice of the enemy, God. And we believe that. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. God, that um, your people would be able to hear what you are wanting to say this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to understand your heart deeper when we leave this place. Father, we worship you this morning. We honor you. We bless your name because you are so good. You are the only one worthy of our praise. 
You are the only one worthy of our attention. And we acknowledge you in this place, Jesus. Your presence is sweet and it is good and it is healing. Lord, so we are grateful to sit in this place with you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to be coming to you from um, the book of Luke. So if you guys want to open up with me um, to Luke chapter 15, this is where um, we will be for the majority of this morning. So Luke chapter 15, and in this moment, we see that Jesus is teaching the crowds. Um, He's doing what he does. He's gathering people, and he's beginning to speak and tell people secrets of the kingdom, and people are starting to listen to him. Um, So at that moment, there's some sinners and tax collectors, so bad people, who are coming, and they are um, coming to listen to Jesus. So that happens in in verse 1. And then in verse 2, we notice that the Pharisees are also coming, and they're hearing Jesus, but they're mostly observing. And they're noticing that Jesus is um, taking time to be with sinners, He's spending his energy on sinners. He's um, surrounding himself with sinners. He, he's eating with them. He's teaching them. He's doing life with them. And the Pharisees develop an issue with this. And so they're observing in order to see what it is that Jesus is going to do. And I can't help in that moment to be convicted that sometimes when we hear teaching or we hear um, people in church, we're so critical of the things that are said, and we're just waiting and observing to see if they're going to say something that's going to rub us the wrong way. And I want us to know that that is a pharisaical heart, and I've had that heart before. These Pharisees were waiting for Jesus to slip up. They were waiting for something to happen so that they could validate their own thoughts that they had about him. So they were waiting for Jesus to slip up. So at this moment, Jesus is understanding that there are two sets of ears that I'm speaking towards. I'm speaking to sinners on one hand, people who have not yet come to repentance yet. But on the other hand, I'm speaking to Pharisees. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but have you ever said something to someone you were in a conversation with in hopes that someone else heard you, right? Sometimes that can be called like passive aggressiveness. Come on, Minnesota, we know, we know. Or um, what I think of is my dad used to do that all the time. So if someone else was getting in trouble, he would discipline them loud and we all heard it. So just in case you were thinking of doing the same thing, you knew because you heard him discipline the other kid. So Jesus is talking to the sinners, but very, very well aware that the Pharisees and their ears are, um, are listening as well. So he begins with um, the lost sheep. So we're going to read from Luke 15, and then we're going to start at verse 3 and go to 7. So starting at verse 3, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have lost, found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus is telling this story to the sinners while the Pharisees are listening. And he's saying that if you have 99 sheep, but one goes astray, of course you would go and find that one. And then when you find it, are you not going to pick it up with joy and put it on your shoulders? And I can imagine the compassion of Jesus to see a sheep who's gone astray and, and say, let me pick you up and put you on my shoulders. 
you've probably been, you're probably very tired from a long journey of going astray. And sometimes I wonder if we look at wayward people like that. But that's what Jesus did. He looked at a wayward sheep and said, you're probably tired. So let me hold you closer to me. And that's what Jesus does when we stray. He holds us closer to him when we come back. And who knows, maybe it's so that we don't go anywhere again. I don't know. But it's, uh, it, it shows so much compassion. So he's telling this story of the lost sheep. And then he goes into another story. And this is the story of the lost coin. And this one is um, chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. Let's read it together. Starting at verse 8. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus is talking about a woman who's lost something. And she sweeps her whole house and she lights a lamp so she can see better so that she can find that one coin. Now, I'm sure many of you know that there is nothing like the power of a Christian woman on a Saturday morning with a broom, right? Look, okay? Especially if there's a Fred Hammond CD present or something. How many of you woke up to that? Saturday morning, music is blaring. Your mom has a broom, and you, you better suit up and get ready because that's what this Saturday is going to be, right? Some of you got to sleep in on Saturdays. Bless you. Bless your soul. But if you heard that in the morning, you knew. Look, Alicia said, they know. Look, <laughs> they know. But there is so much determination in finding something that you lost. Um, y'all, we had a crazy winter, did we not? I actually dreamt last night, I kid you not, that there was another blizzard. And I just don't believe that was from God. No, it wasn't. It, it just it can't. We had a crazy winter. And um, there was a... A particular time in the middle of the winter when uh, my husband and I were walking up the stairs into our house and um, my husband had something on his leg I don't know y'all know him he does a lot he had something on his leg and he was trying to get it off in the middle of the snow and he does this and flicks his hand up his left hand and his ring flies his uh, his wedding band flies up into the air and lands in the deep deep snow and I was just like it's gone like, <laughs> that's it. We can't go in there. Like, if you try to shovel, then it could be anywhere. So we just let it go. Um, so then this past weekend, actually, I think it was, yeah, it was on Friday. Um, I was coming home, and I looked, and I was like, there is no snow on the ground. So I was like, I'm going to find this ring, right? I'm determined. I am going to find this ring. So I go and I look and I'm like careful, right? And I'm kind of like stepping to see if I feel it under my foot, you know? So I'm like searching and I'm stepping, just trying so hard to find this ring. And then I see it and I'm like, thank you, Lord, right? So I grab this ring. I'm thinking I'm all cool. I snap a picture of it, send it to my husband. He doesn't respond. That's okay. I knew he, I knew he really cared. <laughs> Later, he was like, you found my ring. I'm like, yeah, I texted you about that like six hours ago. I was proud of it. Um, but he said, for some reason, I couldn't find it. And I was like, that's okay. I was determined to find that ring. I knew that day I was going to find that ring. I said it to myself, I'm going to find this ring. It has to be here. And it was. So we have so much determination when we are searching um, and seeking for something. And I can, I can imagine that type of determination is nowhere near the kind of determination that God has when he searches for us and when he looks for us. So we see these two stories. 
And at the end of these stories, I believe that the Pharisees are starting to understand something, that there is so much value in these people who have not repented yet. There is so much value in the people that we like to call sinners. So much value that when one of them comes to Christ, there is incredible rejoicing. There is incredible joy that Jesus holds them tight and he hugs them so close. And I want to know, do we have that same mentality that Jesus has? Do we have that same mentality? Sometimes we feel um, more comfortable casting people off or devaluing them when we know that they've sinned. When we don't agree with the choices that they make, that it's okay to cast them off. And sometimes we feel that it's okay to devalue people because they believe differently than we do. That they believe something else. Um, there was a, a, a tragic event that happened a couple months back, and we talked about it. Uh, Pastor Edrin uh, brought it up a couple weeks ago. Um, but there was a horrifying terrorist attack in New Zealand. And um, 50 Muslim people were killed because of a terrorist. Um, and that was a really tough time, and we saw a lot of people on social media sending out condolences and saying they were praying and, and loving. Um, and sometimes, you know, I get kind of salty because I'm like, man, us Christians, we need to be louder. Until you see a Christian say something crazy, and then you're like, please don't, you know? Like, you could have kept that to yourself. I feel like sometimes, especially on social media, we don't get that many words, especially until people stop reading. So I'm like, if you're going to say anything at all, it should be good, right? should be something that's worth reading. Um, but I saw some Christians respond, and these are some Christians that I love dearly, people that I'm friends with and that um, I've shared meals with them, and they've been in my home and I've been in their home. Um, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen the response be, well, Christians are persecuted too. And that is not the response that's godly. That is not the way that Jesus responded. Jesus showed priority to the hurting. And I know that that's different for us sometimes to hear that we're not priority, right? I know sometimes that can be hard. And it's not that the 99 sheep weren't important. And it's not that those other nine coins weren't important. My husband had another rubber ring. It's not that that ring wasn't fine too. But it's the fact that that one, that one has so much value. And we've got to stop devaluing people because they believe differently than us. Because that's not the way of Jesus Christ. When I was in high school, um, I really committed my life to Christ. I was probably like 16 or 17 years old. Um, and I went through like this spiritual high phase or like stage of life. And it was great for me, not as good for other people. Um, but I just like the Lord was calling me to a certain level of consecration and holiness to teach me. Okay. Keyword to teach me. Right. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to start a Bible study because I all of a sudden felt so convicted about things. I wanted every single thing in my life to portray Jesus. That had to do with the way that I dressed, the things that I watched on TV, the music I listened to, the places that I went, everything. I was um, hyper consumed with that representing Jesus. And that's not a bad thing at all. But I had a meeting with my youth pastor's wife at the time. And I said, I want to start a Bible study. But really in my heart, I just kind of wanted like a soapbox to stand on because I had been learning so much. I just needed somebody to listen. Um, but I said I wanted to start a women's Bible study, and I want us to focus on pleasing the Lord in every aspect of our lives. And she was like, okay, Tara, what kind of things do you want to talk about? And I was like, well, we can talk about the way that we dress. 
And we can talk about the music that we listen to and the kind of guys that we date. And I was like, I had so many specific things that I wanted to address in our culture. Um, and she told me something that made me so mad. She said, um, well, Tara, you can't just put all your convictions on everybody else. And I was so salty, y'all. I was so salty. So as soon as she started to say that, we were at um, like a frozen yogurt place. And you could, there was like a ton of windows so you could see everything outside. So while she was talking and I was being offended, um, she, I, I was looking out of the window. And she was also looking out of the window when a car pulled up. Now, um, this car, like didn't look regular or irregular. It wasn't sketchy at all, just like a regular looking car. And a mom got out of the car. Um, and she goes around to the passenger side and she pulls out her child out of the front seat, who's a two-year-old with no car seat. So she grabs the, the two-year-old, um, that's my rough estimate, and brings the child inside. Now, um, my youth pastor's wife at the time was so alarmed by this. And she um, motioned the woman towards us. And I was like, oh, no, like, what's going to happen? Uh, but she motioned the woman towards us. And she said in the most kind and compassionate way, she said, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I really don't want to offend you or hurt you um, or judge you at all. But I want you to know that if something were to happen while you were driving, your, your child would be severely hurt. And she said, I just want to encourage you to um, put your child in the back car seat. Please protect your child. And so at that moment, I didn't have a good response. I was mad because I was like, how can you go around telling people what's bad for them, but I can't tell people what's bad for them, right? I was like 16, you know. <laughs> but I was so salty. I'm like how, like, how can that happen? And it took me years and years to realize what causes are worth fighting for. It took me so long to realize the priority of life and death, that some things are, are wasting time and some things are really helping change lives. And I had to come to reality with that. The last story I want to share um, is uh, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And we, um, a lot of us know this story is very popular. Um, lots of us love to teach on this story just because it's so beautiful. Um, but this is a story that we can all pretty much uh, empathize with. We can all kind of put ourselves in this moment and we can see ourselves in this story. Um, so let's read. This comes from Luke 15 and we're going to read through verses 11 through 24. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a beautiful story, right? So um, I want us to dig a little deeper in this story um, and pull out a few pieces um, out of this text. Um, So let's look back again at verse 12. So in verse 12, he says, bring me my share of the estate. Um, And some of us learn this the hard way and some of us have yet to learn this, but a blessing in an incorrect season can really be a curse. There's some things that we don't have simply because we're not ready for it yet. And there's some blessings and some places that God wants to take us, some things that he wants to do in our lives, some things that we um, are going to get to, but it requires a maturity process. It requires a certain level of maturity to get to where God has to take us. And sometimes that process is going to be with some pain. It's going to be growing pain. Sometimes that process is going to be longer because we're hard-headed. Sometimes that process is going to look different for us. But a blessing that we're not ready for is actually really a curse. And isn't it like us to just beg for something we're not ready for, right? Let's look at verse 13. Um, This verse talks about how he went off to a distant country and he squandered his wealth um, in wild living. Now, I know that there is um, a very real thing going on in the church right now. And this is, we're seeing um, alarming rates of young people leaving the church. And there's so many studies on why that is. And there's so many opinions on why, on why that is. And most of them I truly agree with. But I think there's one that we forgot. That sometimes when people feel further away or they distance themselves from something, it's because they want to feel more comfortable doing exactly what it is that they want to do. And I'm saying this as a millennial. I'm saying this as a young person who sometimes desire to leave the church and do my own thing. Sometimes you got to get far away in order to feel comfortable doing the kind of things that you want to do. We feel better if we don't have that accountability. And then we tell people that they're judging us when really we just, we just don't want anyone to correct us. But that's part of this community is being held accountable. That's part of this community is, is, is telling your brother and your sister, that's going to hurt you. Please don't, don't. You don't have to do that. That's something that can steer you away. That's something that can, that can hurt you. Please don't do that. Let's move on. In verse 14, it says, After he spent everything, there was a famine and he was in need. So he went out to hire himself to feed pigs. Um, and then he was so hungry, so he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating, but they didn't give him anything. And isn't it incredible, the kinds of things that we long for when we're empty? Emptiness is such a real thing. Emptiness is so deep. Emptiness sometimes is, has been ingrained in part of who we are and the way that we act. When you're empty, it's incredible the kinds of things that you will allow yourself to fill yourself with. And this is why Jesus has offered to come and fill us up. Because that emptiness can lead us to a really tough place. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, been in this situation, but I remember being young and telling my parents, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, in which my parents would say, well, go make a sandwich, right? That was like the thing, go make a sandwich. And then I would say, well, I don't want a sandwich. And what do parents say? Then you're not hungry, right? You must not be hungry because that's what you have to eat. (laughs) You must not be that hungry, right? But when you're hungry, there's a lot of things that you will eat, right? There's a lot of things. When you're actually hungry, you're going to eat that sandwich, right? Or whatever. 
But when we are truly hungry, there's a lot of things that we would accept that we would not accept if we were already full. The most, um, the, the best way I can describe Jesus in my life is, is to be full. That's how I feel with Jesus in my life. I feel like if you, after you've eaten a good meal and you just don't want anything else, you're just like, I'm good. Like, I've had enough. Like, do you want a little bit of this? Nope, I'm good. How about some dessert? Nope, I'm good. That's how I feel with Jesus. When I'm truly feel like Jesus is a part of my whole life and I'm filled up with Jesus, how about this, Tara? Nope, I'm good. You can do a little dance, right? Nope, I'm good. Whoa. <laughs> Y'all got to stop me. All right. Um, yeah, so <laughs> this represents a place um, of rock bottom. Let's move on to verse 17. It says, he came to his senses and he decided to go back home. Now, this, is, this represents like a rock bottom type of place. When he came to his senses, and some of us can remember that moment where we finally came to our senses and said, why don't I just go back to God, right? This is, what I'm doing now is tough. Why don't I just go back to God? This is a rock bottom place, and I believe that Jesus is in that rock bottom moment. I believe that Jesus is sitting there next to the agony and next to the hurt, next to the trauma, next to the pain. Jesus is in that moment asking you to come back, inviting you back to him. Jesus is truly in that rock bottom moment. Let's look at verse 20. It says, while he was a long way off, his father was filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And this is the picture of the love of Christ. Just simple. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that meets us at repentance. This is the Jesus that he searches for us. He, he searches until he finds. He's not going to give up. He's going to keep searching for you. He's going to keep pursuing you. He's going to keep chasing after you, and he's going to rejoice every single time that we come back to him. I want to read this last verse before I close. Um, this is from Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, we all, like sheep, have been led astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want to read that one more time. He says, we all, like sheep, have been led astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Family, all of us have been led astray. All of us have been that sheep. All of us have been that lost coin. All of us have been that prodigal son. We have all strayed away from God, and he has brought us back. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We've all been that person. So the next time that we see someone and we want to dissect every little thing that they do, I want you to remember your past. The next time that you see someone caught in a sin or, or trapped in a sin and you're um, tempted in your mind to think negative thoughts about them or you're tempted in your mind to think, well, they, they have what they or they deserve what they have coming, remember what it is that you deserved. The next time that you're willing to devalue someone because of what they believe, because they believe differently than you, I want us to remember that there was a time where you didn't believe. There was a time where you believed something different as well. And we have this task of we can either work with Jesus, we can either work with him to go find the lost ones, or we can make his work harder for him. At the end of the story of the prodigal son, we see the brother 
who had stayed in his father's house the whole time, and he was mad. He was like, how does my brother, who's, who's went out there, did his thing, he spent all his money, he's going to come back and still get more? How, how is that so? But imagine if the brother went out and searched for his brother too. We can either make the work harder or we can join the work. And I want to call us this morning to join the work and to remember who we are. Remember who we are in Christ, but remember who we were without him. We were in that same place. And sometimes the people that we look at their sins and we look at the things that they're into, I believe in the name of Jesus that one day they're going to look back and that's going to be their past. So just how as you have a past, right? Just as I have a past, those people are going to look back and say, I was once lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. The next time that you're tempted to dissect someone and to cast them aside, to marginalize someone, to devalue someone, I want you to remember that you were that lost sheep that was picked up, that was held tighter, and that was brought back. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for your indescribable love. Father, we sit in your presence and we honor you here, Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And God, I pray that we would be wrapped up in your love once again. Holy Spirit, consume us. Holy Spirit, go into our lives and change the things that are keeping us um, from, from allowing your love to come and encompass us. Lord, we desire you. God, we know that without your power, this is nothing more than a TED Talk, Lord Jesus, but with your power, this is your word coming forth, coming in our hearts and changing things up and loving us and using us. We thank you for inviting us into this work. God, I pray that we would come to you. We wouldn't be ashamed, but that we would come to your arms knowing that it is a loving Father meeting us here. We worship you this morning, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help our hearts to see people clearly, that we would um, feel the mandate to go out and make disciples of all nations, that we would take that personally, that we wouldn't wait for a pastor, we wouldn't wait for a leader, we wouldn't wait for our parents, but that we would take that mandate personally to go out and make disciples. God, thank you that we can come to you. Father, you are good and your mercy endures forever.